So today is almost like an episode of zooming back in the past and almost like a battle of the titans. Um, and that's because I'm very privileged and uh, I'm really excited to share that Alfie Marsh um, sat down with me to talk about, you know, personal branding, how you can use that to kind of fuel your company. We both were super early employees, him in Spendesk, me in Plio. And if you don't know, um, those are two like of the leading fintechs right now in the whole expense management and card space. And the unique part about this story is that Alfie and I both were the first hires for Spendesk and, and Plio respectively for the UK markets. And we were both, in fact, pretty much employee number 20. Um, both companies are now over 200 people. So Alfie's still there. He actually moved over to the US and is looking after their US kind of growth and sales. Uh, obviously, I've moved on from Plio. But it's a really fun one because, you know, Alfie and I... Uh, we were kind of the same people in different companies joining at the same time. We were like arch enemies, so to speak, because we were battling against each other. But at the same time, what I have a huge amount of respect for, for Alfie and, and, and myself, is that we really respected each other. Um, whenever we did cross paths, it was like enormous amounts of respect for one another. And you'll see it in the podcast because we'll talk a bit about it. But it, it was really, really fun great to finally sit down with this guy and talk about things like personal branding and how that's been such an instrumental part to our both of our growths and how he's approached it and how I've approached it. We also went into some stories around, you know, how does that impact recruitment? You know, how does having a brand and being visible and, and kind of sharing stories and, and content actually result in, in even sales or even recruitment? Um, and just the whole journey in general, since we both have been part of these epic fintechs, um, Alfie's still with them, but um, I hope you enjoy it. We're going to jump right into a session where Alfie's just giving himself a bit of an intro, hearing about his story, and then we pretty much jump straight into this whole personal brand machine and how that's built itself organically and, and through our own different experiences. It's super cool. Um, Alfie, if you're listening, huge thanks. It was a pleasure. Um, always had the most respect for you guys um, over at Spendesk, but definitely for you, sir. So thanks and Godspeed. Enjoy the episode, guys. So I grew up in um, in North London in a place called Enfield. Um, I ended up studying accounting and finance at university. Mainly because from the age of 16 onwards, I uh, I kind of thought that the finance industry, uh, investment banking, was a place you go, make loads of money, and, and that was what I was uh, you know, trying to trying to move towards. And so that's why I did my degree and ended up working at Bloomberg, which not an investment bank, but in in that industry, and uh, ended up selling to banks and, and hedge funds, and and kind of quickly realised that it wasn't really the the, the right place for me. Um, uh, and the industry isn't something that really appealed to me. Um, and after kind of three years of having more like enterprise sales experience, I then decided to make the jump and move to a startup. So, you know, Boomberg was like 20,000 people, um, 10 billion plus a year revenue. Uh, and you, you definitely like a cog in, in, in a large machine. Um, you, but you'd hear stories of people there 
that were there for like 20, 30 years. Um, and when they were starting out in the, in the early days and they were the best stories and that was the thing that got me the most passionate. And I thought, okay, that's where I need to be. I need to be in a Bloomberg when there's 20 people right at the beginning. So, um, yeah, I decided to make the move into the startup world and join Spendesk at the 20th employee and the first person focused on, on the UK market and, and the rest is history and it was the best decision I've ever made. So. So dope. I love that story. And it's so weird, Alfie. We have like almost identical stories, which just makes this even more weird. But I think I, I worked in quite a few more startups before. So I worked in six before I jumped into Plio. But it's just like you join Spendesk as number 20. I joined Plio as number 20. First UK hire. I also was the first UK hire. So we kind of like oddly the worlds collided at the exact same <laughs> moment. And I remember I had never heard of who you were. And then all of a sudden, Andrea says, hey, Spendesk has a guy like you. I was like, what? <laughs> and then like he sent me like your video content. I was like, what the hell? This is hilarious. So then um, it became a running joke internally at Plio, actually. Like, um, hey, it's Alfie again. I think we wanted to, like, they wanted to, like, let's get Alfie on board because then Hacken and Alfie can they, like, just destroy the UK. It was so funny. But um, I love how that kind of collided. Um, it's so random how that ends up happening. Yeah, it's, it, it is pretty weird, isn't it? But uh, look at where we are, you know, a few years later and doing a podcast together. So Fun, right? But it leads yeah. into the first question. So this is going to be cool. So like, this is going to be a few questions we run through. But I think it, the first one I'd like to jump into first, which I think everyone listening would be extremely curious about is you and I, I, I believe, have both really worked hard on building a personal brand through our companies, right? So, you know, I did it through Leo, which gave me a great platform. and You've done it through Spendesk. Maybe first question is, you know, how did that start for you? Like, where did that come from? Like, where did you realize, okay, I start just building this brand, this LinkedIn thing? Because I'd love to hear your story because I can give you mine. Yeah. Um, I think where it originally started was as an SDR going into the company uh, and then going through the sales process and closing deals and everything else and just being like a, you know, a full on member of the sales team. I first started using LinkedIn in that perspective to share valuable content to the buyer that I was selling to. Um, and that was okay. And I think that that helped to a certain degree. But to be quite frank, there was a, a pivot time uh, in that decision where I, I there was it was around the time there was a lot of people. I think 2019 and it was a big year for kind of personal band built brand building. Uh, there was a lot of people starting to make really good uh, names themselves on LinkedIn using this powerful platform. And I, no one had ever really answered the question for me is, should you build uh, a brand or do content on LinkedIn that's for your kind of buyer persona that you're selling to, or should you do it in what your speciality is? And I was always envious there, you know, that, like Dave from Drift, the, the old VP of marketing is no longer there anymore. But I used to be really envious because he was a, a marketer and he was doing marketing content for a marketing, effectively a marketing tool. So it was like the perfect synergetic kind of like mix over. So that didn't really solve my question because it was kind of like, Hey, that's for the buyer, but it's also his personal strengths. So I looked at that and I said, okay, I'm not getting much traction on the content when it's just for finance teams. Uh, because 
well, no shit, my network is not finance people, it's salespeople. That's kind of like where most of my kind of network is on, on LinkedIn. And also finance, I, I'm not a, I'm not a pro, you know, a pro finance person. Okay, I studied accounting and finance, but I'm not a CFO. I've not gone to any of the big four. That's not my career. I'm a sales guy. So where can I add the most value is actually, well, why don't I create content around the topic that I'm actually passionate about? So it becomes natural and easy. Uh, and then when I made that switch in the decision, it kind of completely changed. Uh, and then I focused purely really on this building the sales community. And weirdly enough, uh, I mean, we'll, we'll probably go on to all the, the, the positive outcomes that have come, but weirdly enough, it actually indirectly really helped sales pipeline within the company anyway, because even though you're not producing content for the buyer that you're, you're selling to, you're, if you're connected, you're always on top of their feed and top of mind. So even if it's indirectly and also the kind of topics that we speak about are applicable to all kind of different um, jobs because they're not just about sales. It's about understanding human behavior and so on and so forth. So people actually, there's again, finance people or you know, clients or prospects that engage with the content when it sells content. And it's kind of like started clicking for me. I was like, okay, we've got to double down on this and, and actually go where I can add the most value. Nice. And I think for me, it was more an alignment of brand and values, which then kind of gave me the epiphany moment because I think pre-2019, no one was really doing anything interesting on LinkedIn. It was so yeah. boring. It was just salespeople kind of pushing out rubbish stuff. And then I think I started, personally, I started watching a lot of YouTube. So I really got into Casey Neistat, Peter McKinnon. Yeah. I just yeah. fell in love with creators. And then, you know, there's obviously like, you know, Gary Vee, because um, we actually brought on board VaynerMedia to Plio. And then I kind of started following a bit more of Gary Vee. And then I was like, hmm. I've never seen someone like pull YouTube kind of content into LinkedIn. So I started playing around with it, right? And then I learned to do some video editing, basic on iMovie. It was rubbish, but it was so easy to learn a Google, YouTube, how to do iMovie editing. I got a crappy iPhone, like it was an iPhone 5 SE or whatever it was. So the, the, And I also made it a realization at that point, it doesn't need to be high quality doesn't need to be like beautiful it needs to be like more authentic and i think what yeah. you were getting to there was just this authenticity so yeah. i started just randomly when i would go to london to meet some of our customers i would just take a selfie with them i don't really, i don't yeah. remember how it started but i was like screw it like who takes a selfie after a business meeting and then that's also where the hat started because i just like this we had this plio inside logo that was kind of fun and no one really used it for anything. So I was like, they had this hat laying around and I found it and I kind of liked it. It was a flat cap. And I would go to these meetings with the CFO, with the CEO wearing a goddamn flat cap. And then they were like, who the hell is this guy? And the reason yeah. why I ended up doing it consistently was impact because it's like a peacock effect. So it's like, yeah. they don't forget me. It's very memorable. That guy with the hat that looks like Max Verstappen. It's a bad joke, but it's kind of funny. Yeah. Um, and then the selfie started and then I started, I would do a trip and I would post it on LinkedIn, just the picture and people would really engage with it. And I was like, this is so weird. And that yeah. kind of started to help me build it. But I don't know about you. I never kind of thought through my content. I never had like a plan of what I was going to post or what I was going to do. It was very much in the moment. And maybe mm. that's why it was authentic and it wasn't super sustainable because it got a bit tricky to sustain later, but that was my journey into it. And and I just realized, yeah, it drove a ton of sales and I would get so many people that I had never known who would yeah. eventually reach out to me after six months of being connected. Hey, Hacken, 
I've been following your content. It's really annoying sometimes, but I keep seeing this pink thing and it's Pleo and I see your hat. And then this morning on the tube, I was going to work and I, I saw the card thing. And then my CFO mentions we're looking at new expensing tools. And I just remember Pleo and I mentioned it. And then now he wants to have a meeting. That happens so many times. And that was, like you mentioned earlier, top of mind referrals. Just top of mind, top yeah. of mind, top of mind. Yeah. I, it's, it's, it's so true. I mean, you know, we, I think it, the, some of the differences maybe with Playo and, and, um, and Spendless originally was maybe the, the type of business like go to market in terms of inbound marketing versus Spendless was where we're very outbound focused. Yeah. But one of the things that I found with outbound sales is your, you bait, you can only contact so many people at a time, you know, and doing that in high quality, especially. And so you can only speak to a certain number of people at any one moment throughout the year. And any company, you've got to bear in mind that they may have one person not thinking about this problem and someone else thinking about the problem. And it may not happen in January when you message them, but it may happen in March when you, you, you finished your cadence or whatever. And so there's this issue is like you're doing all this work, but you've got to be there in their mind when they go to make the decision or have that aha moment that I have a problem and I'm willing to solve it. And you, as, you know, doing emails and calls and being in, in their mind that way is one way, but I think you need a consistent way to be top of mind. And brand is, is, is exactly that. Uh, and I think to second that brand, not just as a company, but as people, uh, the thing I loved about player was you, you, you have videos of, uh, you know, after your sales, like retros and when you're celebrating and stuff like this. And that's really powerful because it, it, it puts people behind the brand and it's people behind companies and people first. This is why people on LinkedIn personal profiles do really well versus no one cares about company pages. Oh, like, so you know, true. It, it, so it true. Say, and no one cares about companies. They care about people and they care about stories. And it's such a great platform to be able to, you know, have your storytelling there. And I think that it, you know, going on to things like about what type of content to actually post, like you say you didn't have much of a process around what you post and, and when you had that. I would say I had a similar way, but kind of put it into a process. So I would have all of my content ideas would be coming through meetings that I would have internally with SDRs and AEs or things that I was going through in a day. And that's when I jotted down. So I'd have just on my iPhone in my notes, all of the topics that were like, that's a really great idea, or that's a really great topic. If this is adding value to that person, maybe other people would find that. And then I would come to the weekend and kind of put everything down onto paper and then you know, mold it so that it's more uh, digestible for, for LinkedIn. But it was definitely um th that kind of perspective and and again going through the content what adds the most or has the most interaction definitely when it's more storytelling people like it when you're vulnerable they, they like it when what you're saying is raw and, it, and it's real and it, it's really easy to spot fake stuff and kind of you know fake yeah. stories and and just just be yourself and, and talk about what you're passionate about cool man but let's move on to the next question let's go into recruitment so we spoke about this before we started like What's the secret sauce or, or where does this come from where I think personal brand, I know you and I have experience in this. You are recruiting a sales team. I've been recruiting a sales team. And I'm sure this goes beyond just recruiting for your own teams, but just company-wide as general in terms of the impact that a, an individual's personal brand can have. But what, is your, what are your thoughts on how a personal brand and done well in that way we've just described can have an impact on, you know... Um, you know, active recruitment, people who aren't looking but kind of stumble across and kind of reach out and are curious about joining the company? Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a good question. I think it, it goes back to that similar uh, message before with 
being there companies are not just companies and, and registered entities they are people and they are stories and i think when i when i joined spendest the reason why i've loved it so much is it's been an adventure it's been a journey we, we've we've you know shared laughter joy tears frustration and, and, and crazy memories together and that is really what bonds you um so when i you know and i think personally what am i looking for in a company it's i want to have that experience with people that i like and are passionate about and are driven i'm going to have fun it's going to be a hard challenge but we're going to do that together this kind of idea of camaraderie um and the the, the branding stuff it, it, again, it just shows that there's this element of humanness behind that there, there are people and it's like okay I, i'd like to work with these kind of people like i'd love to work with someone that can wear a flat peak to go into meetings with their, their, their cfos right i'd love to go to a company where they celebrate wins and people are enjoying stuff together and it looks like a fun environment to be i i want to be in a company that is okay and open about their hardships and and I think that it just it helps paint the picture of what your culture really is like because culture is never words on a piece of paper. It's lived and breathed by the company. And I think for us, the when you say like what's the the key to, to key to hiring, it's and then the question is like how do you build a culture? And, and I think the way you do that is through who you hire. Your, your culture you can't control it. It will evolve and it will change over time. But it really is a uh, an equation of the people, the sum of the people that you hire and, and what people do in the company. And, and having this kind of branding makes sure that you, people that are attracted to you are people who are in a kind of similar value position. Um, and so I think that has great synergetic value. But I think a lot of people, what I, what I get annoyed about is fake branding. And I think this is a very, if anyone's listening now, here's my take on this, where I think a lot of people project a fake image and then you get this, this horrible situation where a company looks cool. You know, they do, they record these videos, but that you, you can sometimes smell they're a bit forced that this isn't organic. This is like, let's do a video. Let's, or let's do a company picture. Let's show us we can, we can win and we have a, a sales gong that we, we always ring when we do well. Right. But I think for me, what's worked really well is the consistency and not yeah. breaking away from that. And like you, if you were to, if some, like, and I, I, so many people came to Plio through me and I, I won't even be, I'm, I'll be bullish about that because it's true. And not just salespeople, engineers, people that are in marketing, in people ops. And I remember because they would LinkedIn message me. And then a few months later, I'd see them come up on an application form. I'm like, mm. they've been following the content for three or four months to see, is this real? Or is this fake? And yeah. I think when it's consistent, you can see that it's fun, that you, people are actually engaging with it, even internally in the company or, or resharing it. I think that's the, the more safeguard way to also see through the BS. Is this company really got a good culture or is it kind of just like playing a game to kind of attract yeah. people? I couldn't agree more. I'm just, you know, but I was thinking about what you were saying about Casey Neistat and uh, Peter McKinnon, and and these are all people. I get it's so funny that you mention these names because these are people that I love watching on YouTube as well, and similar sort of context. But I'm just waiting for the moment that a company does an awesome job of actually daily documenting the lives of, of growing a company, and I, I I kind of question myself of of how how would you do that because. Stories are, are always better told when you finish, you come out the other side of the story and you know what the message of the story is. And, and that's why kind of like daily vlogging and these types of um, content can be difficult because you're going through the motions, but you, you, you haven't personally digested this. And what does this mean? And what have I taken away from that? So it's kind of, you, you kind of need to have some, you know, 
hindsight to be able to produce the content. But I think that w- that's what I want to know. I want to know what is it actually like to be in a startup from the beginning to grow that? What does it mean when you say, okay, we go through the ups and downs together? Because you just see the, the pretty glossy things and the yeah. tech crunch articles outside. And I think that would be a, an amazing marketing um but you should check out check out Wakelet. So um, I signed up a customer <laughs> a long time ago called Wakelet. They started doing a daily, they started doing a weekly vlog of okay. the company, and that was actually an initiative that they started to support the board because the board wanted to see progress. But I think they killed it off because a, it's incredibly difficult to sustain. Because I, I this is where I have a huge amount of respect for Casey Neistat. Daily vlogging. I don't know how that guy does it. Um, I tried a little bit for my own fun projects and I have that stupid YouTube channel that I have, but it was fun. It's how I used it to learn. Right. Um, but I think you've just raised a very important question to me because culturally from your leadership team, how did they let you be so fluid on LinkedIn? Did Spendesk, for example, enable you to be like, yeah, Alfie, just go share content, do your thing, build your personal brand. I think it's useful for us, but we don't really know. What was that? Because I think it also depends on the company's perspective and being comfortable with their people sharing sometimes a bit more, not sensitive data, but you know, it's how visible do we really want to be? Yeah, it's, that's, it's a really great question. I, I think that we're really, really privileged in Spendesk to have a CEO like Rod because his his perspective really is on we we have one of our values is be big and bold uh, and it's something where we're always saying that we're not being big and bold enough we're not doing enough taking enough risk or kind of breaking things and we've always had this culture of kind of being pirates and just going out there and breaking stuff and taking risks and and um you know asking for forgiveness rather than permission has always been like the status quo and so we we've kind of grown up right from the beginning of always having this um kind of mindset and so it to be honest like the that it never was a question that no one has ever once uh raised the question of oh, should we produce should we put out this content or should we be careful or censor this and you know i'm sure if there were some things where there was like you know sensitive data that came out it would it would it would be addressed right but generally speaking it's been like, well let's test it let's see how it goes um and let's see what happens i mean the i think that People can get really scared, especially in startups, about the impact of things like personal brand. But you've got to bear in mind that we try so hard to produce great content so people can see them, and we we can touch a fraction of the world. <laughs> like it, you can make. It's like when people, um, you know, scared of going to the gym and putting on too much muscle. It's like people are going every single day to put on muscle really, really hard. It's not easy. Um, so the point that I'm trying to make here is, even if you fuck it up. It's going to have such a small impact in your company in those early days that you can have so much learning for. And so you should take the risk. Um, don't be afraid to kind of put stuff out there that is, it's going to damage you because if it, if it is ever bad, it's going to have a really relatively limited impact. And it's something that you can learn and iterate from. But I guess we've never had that kind of um, negative perspective internally, but it is something that comes up on before. And I've seen on other people post on LinkedIn where they've actually had to leave the company because there is this kind of gross misalignment. And I think that that's a, that's a tricky question that you'd have to ask personally. Am I in the right place that's going to allow me to flourish for the skills that you know I, I, I'm good at and doubling down on? And maybe it's not the right place for you. Two points on that in reverse order. So the second point that you just made. So I think when people, you know, what I learned on LinkedIn, in one day, people forget what you just posted. It's, it's, it's there for a fraction of a second. People move forward yeah. incredibly fast. So when you, when you make a, like a, like an F up post when it's really bad and didn't work, 
I don't remember it in two days. It's gone. Second point, though, I think is critical for anyone listening also is like company values dictate precisely how this is going to turn out because those are normally set by the founding team or the early cohort team. For example, I think we're maybe now that I'm inwardly reflecting how it happened for me, transparency was a big thing for Plio in the beginning. I don't know how good it is now, but in the beginning, it was pure transparency, not just from a culture, but from the product, you know, the visibility on the expenses. It was transparent. You could see everything. So we tried to build the product values through to the company values. And I think my posting and kind of, I was kind of trying to be like a journalist. I'm a journalist of the company. This is what's happening. This is true. And I think that's where no one called it out as like, stop doing it. It's weird. It was more like, this kind of feels right. Mm-hmm. Only twice did Yeppe, the CEO, kind of message me instantly on Slack saying, take it down. Like maybe once or twice, I made a bad post that he wasn't comfortable with. But what I liked about that was at least he would call it out and he wouldn't reprimand it. He'd be like, okay, just take it down. It's a bit too much. Um, But that's, I think people need to find that balance, but it's where you go and it's the cultures that you kind of end up in. That's that's a, that's a really great way. I think like way beyond even the topic that we're, we're talking about we're talking about culture, but culture is just another system and a process. You, you, you don't need to win every battle, but you need to, you need to not focus on winning. You need to focus on building a system and a process that is a winning system and process. Culture is a way to hire the right people that you know will make the right decisions given the autonomy in, in their role. And if you've got a good company like that and you're hiring good people, there should be no um, kind of fear behind what they're doing because you should have some kind of insight into the outcome of that. So that's great. But then, okay, that kind of gets me to the next question. Oh, these, all these questions are suddenly coming to me, which is super off, off script, but really good. Culture evolution as the company grows, you'll have a great steer on this. And I have a lot of opinions on this. You know, when we were 20 people, when I joined, the culture was so intense because we were like, and this is where I hate when companies use like family. So I actually started Plio family a lot. I was pushing that, but now I really regret it. I should never have used that word because a company is not a family. You know, I, I think yeah. it should be more like a tribe, you know, like a unit, because when you then start firing people or people start yeah. leaving, you're losing like a brother or a sister. It's really, it's really painful yeah. and it's really emotional. But what's your opinion on, you went from 20 to 200 plus now. As the company grows, I found whenever we hired like 10 or 15 people at a time, I could feel the culture shift instantly. It kept shifting. And it would go more and more away from the old arching, the old kind of guard to the new guard. How has mm-hmm. that been for you guys? And how do you think, because I think culture needs to evolve with time or else the company can't grow properly. But what's your take on that? Uh, when, when you ask what's my take on that, what, what, what's, the, what's, the, what's the goal of the question? What would you... What, what what should you look out for? Like, is that you, when that when that culture begins to change? If you if it's not representing your values, because I believe the culture yeah. starts to change from the core values because it can't keep up with them anymore because the new people coming in don't know what the old standard was because there's not yeah. enough people to teach it. Yeah, I see. I see what you mean, and that, that can happen quickly um, if you're hiring at such a such a fast rate. I think you know both our companies have, have grown in, in in that kind of exponential way. It's very difficult to do, but I, I think that there's an element of new cohorts that come into the company. They really experience. I think the, the first kind of three months of being in the company is really a way where it's like this is the way that we make decisions. This is the way that we operate as a company and you can't do that by really telling people i mean you can kind of 
set the foundations by explaining this is kind of how we operate, but it has to be done in the way that you actually make decisions or right, that you actually interact with your team. And as a, a manager to the people that you hire, for example, if you really uh, value you know, radical candor and having transparency, you have to set the, 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 the status early on to be like, okay, I'm going to put myself in a position where I welcome your feedback. And when you get feedback, for example, you're going to actually take it into consideration. And you're not going to reprimand them. It's just like, um, you know, when, for example, we've just, uh, in our house, we've just got a new puppy and this puppy is going around and it doesn't know the world yet. And, and you're really having to kind of shape that its experience within the environment. And it's the same thing when people come into the company. You first start your foundations by hiring based on the cultural values that, that fit the most. And that will do a large majority of the job. But you have to make a concerted effort to say, okay, are we living the values? Is every manager and ambassador in the company living them? And I think we made, we made quite a big effort to say to all of the management, and not just management, but everyone in the company, that you are a Spendesk ambassador. That means that when you come into work and when you're making decisions, you have to say to yourself, would someone look at me and say, you are an ambassador of the values? And if not, then that means that everyone I interact with is going to have different values to then go off of. And so it, I think it starts from the top, it then goes into management, and then you have to be able to delegate that through the growth and then having that really in your management. But I think that the biggest point there, it comes from the top. I think if leadership is not incredibly fierce and strong on that and fiercely yep. defends that whole ecosystem, like, you know, managers, anyone that's promoted or anyone that's growing in the company and stays in the company, they need to live and breathe that ethos. And I think yes. the second that management begins to detach itself from the workforce is super dangerous. I won't yes. speak for Plio too harshly here, but I think that is something that has started to happen for sure, because it's, it's difficult to manage when you get 200 plus people to kind of be able to speak with everyone and have that kind of contact, right? And yeah. it's interesting for me to compare with you because, you know, you're still at Spendesk and you're 200 plus and you've been there since you were an employee number 20. I didn't like it. I, the culture was mm. shifting in a way that I wasn't vibing with it anymore. So I made the difficult, and it was a super emotional decision to leave a company yeah. that I felt that I was completely ingrained and DNA'd in, right? Because the Pleo family, which was, again, the wrong term to use, it was like losing a family, right? But um, yeah. I had to make the hard realization that the culture change that's happening and where we're going is not resonating with me. This is not my kind of area. And it's super tricky to either yeah. make sure you are growing with the company in terms of the culture shift. Are you shifting correctly with it or are you now resisting it? And if you're yeah. resisting it, you're becoming bad blood because yes. you're trying to hold the company into a space which it can't stay in. Exactly. So there's a few things that you raised there, which really resonated with me. The first is you mentioned this earlier about the difference between family and tribe. And this is, we probably exactly. had that same conversation around like 30, you know, 40 plus when employees, we had exactly the same conversation. And Rod was explaining exactly that. It's, we didn't, we're not a family. We are a, a tribe in that sense, because it, for example, you know, if you have a brother or a sister who, you know, steals from you and is just kind of like, doesn't put any effort in, doesn't help around the house, like you're not just going to banish them from the house. You're going to have to support that because it is your family. A business doesn't operate like that. And a team yeah. doesn't operate like that. In a football team, every individual player has to be a hundred percent individual contributor, but they have to play for the team. Now, just because you like that person, if they're not performing, they're going to leave the team. 
because they're no longer helping the team achieve the goal. And the company is there to achieve the company goals. And if you're no longer contributing to that, then you're not a good fit in that tribe anymore. And to, to back to your you know earlier question about uh, how do you adapt as the company grows, or especially when you're hiring so quickly, I think one of the mistakes that people make is that it's natural, okay? But people are scared to fire people or to not um, to, to not end a, a probation period when it's clear that there's not a good fit in, in the company. And it's very easy to see when the tribe is rejecting someone. And it's not just one individual, it's like the whole company. You, it's, 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 it's visible. Um, and I think it's to not try and fight that too much, to not try and force something to work where it's not going to work. And it doesn't mean that individuals are a bad person. It just means that whatever that makeup of this characteristic is not in line with the tribe at that moment in time. And so that's where you should kind of let the, 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 the tribe take over. Um, and again, to the point, yeah, it's, it's the, the goal of whatever that tribe is will depend on the time of the company and how that changes over time. Uh, I, I'm yet to see how that's going to change in Spenis. I think in some ways I've kind of been sheltered from that because I've always worked on like the very early markets. Like the UK was a naught to one stage and in the US it's the same thing. So I'm kind of, we're in like a little bubble where we're operating almost like, um, you know, pirate ninjas where we're, we're kind of under, <laughs> uh, under the sea a little bit. But, um, so it, it will be interesting to see how that goes, but there's a, a great book that called Who Moved My Cheese? And it talks exactly about what you just mentioned. When, when the cheese has moved, you have to realize it and either if that, where that cheese has moved to is in line with you, stay there. And if not, then you have to move on. And, and, and that's very and it good sounds like, advice. It sounds like you've done a very smart thing though, because you've realized where your niche is, which would be more on the new markets, where you can kind of keep that same culture that you've always had through your journey. You're not trying to necessarily conform to an evolution that's happening in a current established market, right? So you keep that energy and you kind of set the framework because you are a culture pillar. You know what the, the old guard is like, and that's kind of still the new guard, but that sounds like it's worked. And actually, that's exactly why I wanted to go into market launching, which is why I yeah. really wanted to actually launch the US market. Uh, but we made a strategic decision not to go after the US at, at when I wanted to go. Um, so it was very interesting how that kind of played out, but it's, it's super strong. Um, that's all my questions, man. I think we keep this one nice and short. I think that was super punchy, like um, super powerful content there. Uh, unless there's something else you want to kind of bring up or, or a question maybe that you want to bring that kind of links into the personal brand and, you know, finding the best people and, and the culture stuff. I, I, no, you know, not unless there's other topics you want to go into. No, I, I, nothing on the top of my mind. But I just think just for, for people, it's just, especially now, there's so much craziness going on in the world. Just just take ownership over whatever you're doing. Don't be fearful. Just get started and, and, and really focus on what, you, what you're passionate about. Like, if, you, if you align what you're writing or recording about with what you're either good at or what interests you, you just can't go wrong and, and just get started. Solid. Alfie, it's been... Uh, insane pleasure super cool to finally actually properly chat with you for more than 20 minutes yeah <laughs> likewise likewise it's a great pleasure thanks for having me on cool peace 